As we learned on the last Women's HealthCast, preterm birth is fairly common. But the rate of preterm birth is elevated for Black women in the United States, with approximately 13.8% of babies born preterm, according to the March of Dimes. Dr. Jasmine Zapata joins us on this Women's HealthCast to talk about what being born prematurely can mean for children's health outcomes, the significant racial gap in preterm birth rates as well as Black maternal and infant mortality, and some steps to help providers rebuild trust in the medical system for Black women. Dr. Zapata is a newborn hospitalist with UW Health and an assistant professor in the UW-Madison Department of Pediatrics. I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's HealthCast from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I am very pleased to talk with Dr. Jasmine Zapata today. Thank you for sitting down with me. Yes, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you to get a little bit more perspective on um, preterm birth. You're a neonatologist, and so I think you have a really good perspective on it. And I've had the honor of hearing your personal stories with this experience as well. Um, Before we get into that, I always like to learn a little bit about what brought you to this career path, how you chose this field. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about that. So I am actually, I'm a newborn nursery hospitalist. And so that is very similar to a neonatologist, but I'm not officially a neonatologist. I work in the normal newborn nursery and um, work with, in general, healthy and well newborns. And I do procedures, run to deliveries, and it's the most incredible job ever. When the babies who are in the newborn nursery have um, an illness or they have something that needs closer monitoring, then I work very closely with the neonatology team and we transfer those babies up to the NICU. So we're kind of like the gatekeepers (laughs) to the NICU. And um, it's just an amazing, an amazing job that I have. I just love it so much. And so a little bit about what got me onto my path. I knew ever since I was five years old that I wanted to be a doctor. And so a lot of people are like, how did you know since you were five years old? But I actually have proof. I have this little book where um, ever since I was in elementary school, my parents had a little book where I put my picture, my best friend's name that year, um, what my favorite topic in school was. And then at the end of the page, you had to put what you wanted to be when you grow up. And every single year from kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, every year, I always check the doctor box. So I have been wanting to be a doctor ever since I was five. I have no idea what I was thinking when I was five years old, but I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And so over the years, there were just many other experiences that solidified that for me. But one of the one of the biggest things was the birth of my own daughter who was born a 25 weeker preemie. Uh Oh, basically when I was um, in second year of medical school, I got pregnant with my second child and I was due January 2nd, but I had her, I went into premature labor on September 20th. And so she was 25 weeker and uh, 25 and zero exactly that. And she um, was one and a half pounds she was, oh my goodness, she went, she was on um, so many life-sustaining measures. She had a sepsis infection. She, uh, she had sepsis. She was on an oscillator. Um, she was, um, had to have brain surgery because she had a brain bleed and like 
oh my gosh, it was just so hard. But long story short, she survived and she is now nine years old and the sassiest little thing ever doing so well. But while I was in medical school and that happened, I knew after she survived, especially after she survived, I said, okay, I'm going to be a neonatologist. I'm going to go into this field so I can use my experience and save other babies. However, when I was in my pediatrics training, um, I, I got introduced to a whole new field of medicine called preventive medicine and public health. This is its own board certified specialty where you look at upstream determinants of health and looking at how you can get outside the clinic walls to impact change from a policy level, from a community level. And I got really, really interested in that. So I kind of shifted gears. I was, I was going to go into neonatology, but then I got recruited into the field of preventive medicine and public health, got my master's in public health and board certified in prevention medicine. And then now I have what I call my dream career where I part-time work as a newborn nursery doctor. So not necessarily in the NICU, but I work um, in the, in that, in that world where we get to run to deliveries, take care of new babies. And then the other 50% of my time I spend as a preventive medicine and public health doctor doing community-based participatory research and other initiatives to find out how we can actually prevent some of the in health inequities we see in the field of maternal child health. So I look at it like I'm kind of like a time traveler instead of seeing the babies when they're critically ill. I'm like a time traveler and figure out how can we prevent a lot of the disparities we see in the first place. So I wanted to talk with you really to learn a little bit more about preterm birth and especially, um, as you mentioned, inequities in preterm birth rates in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the big question I want to lead with is, are Black mothers more likely to experience a preterm birth? Yes. Good question. So every um, there's so much data out there. And so you can break it down by national statistics, state statistics, and even county statistics. There's ways you can even break it down by zip code. However, across the board, Black women have um, significantly higher rates of preterm birth compared to white women, um, and that's nationally. And, and that's something that's st um, that statistic rings true right here in Dane County. Um, there's something that's striking to me that I, I say the statistic everywhere I go, but basically college educated black women have two to three times a higher rate of preterm birth compared to white women who are high school dropouts. So it even regardless of social economic status or education level, we're still seeing higher rates of prematurity and adverse birth outcomes for black women, regardless of social economic status. And also very interestingly, um, first generation women who come to the United States from Africa, their birth, their birth outcomes and rates of prematurity are similar to white women. However, over time, over different generations that um, the more future generations in their lineage start having um, higher over time, their preterm birth rates increase. So it's letting us know that it's something about being a black woman in the in America that is causing this. And so, yes, we definitely see that. And I was one of those statistics 
college educated, you know, doctoral level black woman. And I had higher rates of, you know, I was at higher risk of prematurity, having a baby premature. So I, I had definitely read that as well, um, that a college educated black woman is more likely to experience a preterm birth than a white woman who hadn't finished high school. And I've also found the knowing that a, a woman who moves here from a, a black woman who moves here from Africa will have better birth outcomes than her daughter who grows up in the United States. And that that brings me to the question of just what what do we understand about what is driving this inequity? What do we know, if anything, of what's happening that causes this higher rate of preterm birth? I, I don't know what we know about it. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's what we are current, oops, sorry. That's what we're currently investigating. It's multifactorial. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that play a role in this. Um, whew, there's just so much, but some of it is um, chronic stress over a lifetime, interpersonal um, racism, but also systemic racism. Um, also just implicit bias, even within the healthcare system and so much more. So it's, it's very layered and there's a lot of research looking into that even right now. Do we know if there are some risks to maternal health um, with preterm birth or preterm delivery? So there is research looking into this. To my knowledge, there are risks, especially um, cardiovascular risk. Um, Black women who have had preterm births have been shown to have higher um, higher rates of cardiovascular disease later in life and also um, higher rates of some mental health concerns later on in life as well. So it's really important to look at this from a life course perspective as well. What about risks to baby's health sort of in the immediate sense, like some of the most pressing immediate outcomes for preterm birth? Yes, good question. So babies who are born prematurely um, are at risk for many different things. So they're at risk for hypoglycemia, where their blood sugar gets um, at dangerously low levels. They're at risk of feeding difficulties, where it's difficult for them to even coordinate their feeding and their suck, and we have to watch their weight gain very closely. And they're also at risk um, for thermoregulatory issues, where it's hard for them to maintain their body temperature. So we have to Many tinier babies, the NICU has to actually put them in isolates to help them regulate their temperature. But even some of the larger babies that are in the newborn nursery but are born premature, we still um, have to watch that very closely. Um, and then the babies who are born as um, very, very premature, like my daughter was a 25 weeker and some even some of the smaller ones, those um, we call micro preemie, micro preemies, they're really at risk for a lot of things. Um, they can have issues with their, they are at risk for something called interventricular hemorrhages, where they have bleeding in their brain, in their ventricles and other parts of the brain, and that can cause long-term issues. 
um, some babies with that condition even have something called post hemorrhagic hydrocephalus, where basically the bleeding that is in their ventricles can cause scarring in something called the arachnoid villi, but basically scarring of the area that you're supposed to reabsorb your cerebral spinal fluid. And so long story short, it basically causes some irritation and scarring to the point where you develop hydrocephalus, where the the fluid in your brain just builds up and those babies can die unless they get a life-saving intervention called um, a ventroperitoneal shunt, where basically you have to drain the fluid manually from their brain and then you know, release it somewhere else in their body. And that's a very, very scary surgery for a little tiny baby to have. So that's one condition that some micropremies can face. Um, also, even if they don't end up needing that ventro um, peritoneal shunt, if they don't need that brain surgery, um, sometimes the bleeding in the brain can cause long-term neurocognitive issues later in life. So that's one thing. Um, also, Babies who are born very, very prematurely can have issues with their digestive system. There's one very um, concerning complication called um, necrotizing enterocolitis or neck. And basically that's when part of the baby's bowels, um, ultimately they die. And so those babies have to have life-saving surgery to actually remove part of their bowel. There's a lot of things they we'll try to do first to prevent it getting to that point. But babies who are born as micropremies are at risk for that as well. Um, and there's a lot of other things, but I'll just stop there. <laughs> Those are just two, two of the things and, and a host of other conditions as well. So that's in sort of the very immediate term. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But and I'm, and then I'm curious in the longer term as children who start who were born um, very prematurely start to grow up, mm -hmm. uh, do they have different health outcomes? Are there different things that might kind of carry with them mm -hmm. um, longer into life? Yes, good question. So they there are some babies who are born as micropremies or they they can have issues with their eyesight that can impact them. Over the long term, some babies even need to have surgery on their eyes so they can have issues with their vision. There also are um, long term, as I was saying, neurocognitive issues. So issues with learning and development, school, um, emotional regulation. Also, their babies who are born very prematurely can have long term issues with their lungs, chronic, um, chronic lung disease and issues with their lungs and their breathing. Um, and then some of them have issues with like um, motor, even motor skills and walking and coordination and things like that. Of course, it's a spectrum. So if you have a 23 weeker compared to having a baby born prematurely, a 35 weeker, that's going to be very different outcomes. So it's, it's a broad spectrum and range. So, um, of course, more severe consequences long term, the, the um, younger the gestational age. And we're defining full-term birth and prematurity as babies born less than 37 weeks. This is a little off topic of prematurity specifically or preterm birth specifically, but I wanted to talk to you about an article I just saw earlier this week. So it's, we're in mid-August, mid-August 2020 right now. And um, I just saw a study that 
this, I guess this will get to some uh, like race-based inequities in our country. I just saw a study that uh, black babies with white, who work with white doctors are um, I think three times more likely to die in the first year of life. Am I getting this right? Yes, I actually just had multiple people emailing me this article, getting tagged on social media. So I'm just familiarizing myself with this, but that's what I read as well. I mean, I found that really staggering and frightening. And I guess, what do we know about why? Yeah, um, this is a hard one there there's a lot to study and learn about it but one of the biggest things is implicit bias among white healthcare providers i'll just be frank and so a lot of times when we talk about racism and anti-racism efforts a lot of times people say this key thing i've heard it so many times but i'm not racist i've never purposely treated a black woman differently or said something, you know, I give them the same care as everyone else. But what implicit bias is that we have to realize is that it's unconscious. It's not something that you um, are necessarily doing on purpose. It can be, especially when, um, especially in our healthcare system, when we're stressed and busy and in a rush and, you know, trying to survive ourselves in a busy day or long hours, it's easy to let those implicit bias um, creep, creep in. So, um, it's, that's one of the reasons, but it's a lot more investigation needed. Also as a black, um, pediatrician and public health professional, I know that because, because I know all of these statistics exist, I know I go above and beyond when I have a black patient or a black baby, because I know that they're already at risk for some of these horrible reports and things we read. So I, I don't know. I just, um, it's kind of like, I have like an extra eye out <laughs> watching and making sure that nothing was missed and kind of fighting and advocating for them. Another thing too, is some of the moms might trust the, the black providers more. Um, a lot of the research that I'm doing has, has talked with black women and asked them, um, how can we rebuild trust with the healthcare system? And because rightfully so, there are reasons to not trust the healthcare system. Our own public health department has done horrible things in the in the history of the United States. So rightfully so, there's trust that there there's and I can't speak for every black woman, but there are many black women, especially the ones that I talk to and um, that have participated in the research that I'm involved with, who just expressed that it there has been distrust. There is trust broken and there needs to be time to repair that. And so we can't repair that trust in just like a five minute quick, quick visit. It's going to take time. And so I believe that plays a role as well. Just the, the broken trust with, with the healthcare system. Do you mind telling me a little bit about your research? I'm curious um, what you're working on and what you're studying. Yes. So one um, research um, 
one body of research that I have been participating in over the last several years and while I was in my pediatrics training as well was that we talked to um, we did one on one interviews with black women, white women and then um, OB healthcare OB healthcare providers. And we were we asked the question. It was um, myself and a collaborative team led by Lavina Coley. And basically in this um, study, we asked women, what, how do you define quality of care? And so it was really interesting. We did one-on-one -on -one interviews and then we did a thematic, thematic analysis to see what themes emerged. And basically what we found was that the black women said that, um, or the, the themes that emerged in this group was that they define quality of care as communication and respect and spending time with them and treating them more than just a number and like they and not making assumptions about them whereas some of the other groups that we interviewed their definition of quality of care was um following the latest ACOG recommendations or timely visits or the um you know new devices that were used or how advanced tech uh advanced technology or making sure all the epic system was up and running quickly so it was a different um different different definitions of quality and that's very very interesting because when we talk about um util uh, utilization of prenatal care and we wonder why there are differences in, especially and there's racial um inequities even in that we have to ask ourselves, like, what definition of quality, whose definition of quality are we basing our decisions off of? Because this subpopulation of black women mentioned that, like, their definition of quality was very different than others. And so we need to really focus on that. And so that's kind of launched my research into this topic. And now, um, I'm also involved in some research, um, doing more interviews with black women as they are um, pregnant, w one interview while they're pregnant, another while they're six weeks postpartum, and then another while they're six months postpartum, really digging very deeply into some of these issues, talking about the different statistics that we see in um, our county and nation and what they think is the solution, what things bring them joy. We're exploring the role of why it is that they desire to have um, racially concordant um, providers and digging into that of like, wh why do you think that is that that's that's helping or that that's a desire of yours? And then also in our current reality, we don't have as much diversity in the healthcare field as we need. What are specific strategies we can do to rebuild trust with health with the healthcare team and what are specific things providers can do, especially providers that are not of color can do to rebuild that trust and make you feel comfortable and best serve you. Um, also in these this body of research in these interviews, we're exploring um, the relationship with black women and their knowledge about doulas and um, and breastfeeding as well. And so and also we're having them help us to design some community based interventions um, and support groups to specifically and uniquely support black women and their needs and help them thrive, not just survive, but thrive in their motherhood journeys. So I have a ton of collaborative partners for that. And um, it's been a journey going through the process of doing this research, especially 
with COVID-19, <laughs> but um, actually it's very, very interesting to hear how they are um, surviving and aiming to thrive even in the midst of COVID-19 and um, the dual pandemic of racism that we're seeing in our country. So I cannot wait to talk about that more. I'm presenting at OB Grand Rounds in early 2021. So I'm super excited about that. So I'm curious then, in your view, um, what are some things that need to happen or that providers can do, doctors can do to kind of help rebuild some of that trust that's been lost in the medical system? I guess I'll say one of the biggest things that I would say um, to any providers that are working with Black women, and again, I do not speak for all Black women because one thing that we need to learn and just remember is that you can't just group Black women into one category. Everybody is unique and different and has their own opinions and experiences and things like that. So when I say Black women, I'm just saying I, after talking to a large group and over the years, these are the themes that commonly emerge. I just want to make that clear. But one of the biggest things that they're saying and that I'm hearing, whether it's through my research, through personal experiences or, you know, women I know from the community, the biggest thing is to just see me and hear me, acknowledge me, don't just dismiss me in healthcare encounters. And also they're saying to, they're saying to not ignore, don't ignore the elephant in the room. So talk to me about racism. Talk to me about the fact that black babies and black moms are dying at higher rates than white women. And tell me that you even know that history, acknowledge the facts, and then give me reassurance that you're going to do everything in your, your, um, power to not make that be me. Because a lot of times, well-meaning healthcare providers come in and they just say, I'm going to just treat everybody the same and very, very nice. And they just completely ignore all those statistics. And even though that seems like it's doing a great thing, it can actually be making things worse because they want to know, like, do you even know that this is happening? And so have that conversation. It's a courageous conversation to have, but have that conversation and address it up front and just, you know, say, no, acknowledge it, acknowledge the history. Don't try to ignore it and just say, oh, we treat everybody the same. No, as a healthcare institution and as a nation, we have failed black women. Historically, the founder of modern gynecology did experiments on his on slaves, on black women who were slaves without anesthesia. And there were so many other like sterilization things that were unethical. A lot of things happened. So you can't ignore our history. You have to acknowledge it and then say, I acknowledge that. And let's talk about how we're going to do everything in our power to not make you that statistic and treat you um, with respect and care. So that's like one of the biggest things that I um, am taking away from all my years of research, all my community involvement, even my own personal experiences as well. Because me as a black woman, when uh, I've taken my kids to the hospital or things, or, you know, I've gone places, I have received, oh my goodness, I, 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 I don't even have time to go into the different stories that I have, ways that I've experienced interpersonal um, racism and discrimination or just little microaggressions 
where it's like not something super obvious, but it's like a tiny little cut. And then, you know, the imagery is like um, one little paper cut won't kill you. But if you have a million tiny little paper cuts all over, you're just walking around in pain. And and then people try to tell you if some if you get another little tiny paper cut. Well, that was nothing. It was just all in your head. It was just small. You know, that wasn't anything of a big deal. But when these little things keep happening, it is hard. So to just acknowledge that. And there's a lot more I have to say, but I'll just stop there. (laughs) So some of this might be just a reinforcement of what you just mentioned, but um, you coming at this work with so much perspective, both as your clinical practice time and you're a public health professional, which is pretty amazing. And in your view then, I guess I want to know what, needs to change to help close this racial gap in preterm birth rates, but also maternal and infant mortality, Mm -hmm. that gap is also very large. Yes. Yes, you're right. So one of the leading causes of infant mortality, Black, especially Black infant mortality, one of the leading causes is complications of prematurity. There's a lot of misconception out there that the driving factor for infant mortality rates is Um, co-sleeping or unsafe sleep or SIDS. Um, And a a lot of people don't talk about one of the number one reasons is complications of prematurity. So Black women are having babies too early and too soon. And why is that? So, um, you know, there's a lot of research into that and we have to approach it from many, many, many different angles, both within the healthcare system and outside of it as well. So one of the biggest things I would just say is that we need to help black women meet basic needs. That's number one, helping people meet basic needs. Right now, there is a housing crisis. Oh my gosh, even even in Dane County, there are rates of evictions, non-renewals, people that are homeless, stressed, That is a problem. So um, just and that's not saying that's the number one reason, but social determinants of health. I can't emphasize that enough. It's not just enough to get people involved in prenatal care and utilizing it in the way you treat a black woman when she's pregnant. We need to actually be working with like that's why I went into preventive medicine, being like a time traveler. We need to focus on talking to seven, eight, nine-year-old young girls about resilience, about um, generational wealth building, about beauty and confidence. Like we need to be pouring into our younger generation as a preventive measure because the things that they experience in their life, the um, environment that they were raised in, all of that plays a role in their future birth outcomes and potential. So it's not just them. We need to be supporting their parents and traveling back in time. We need to meet basic needs and also focus on a preconception care over the course of a lifetime. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been Dr. Jasmine Zapata on the Women's Health Cast talking about preterm birth, racial inequities. I'm very grateful for your time. Yes, I'm so happy to be here and thank you for having me. And I'm I'm happy to continue the conversation in the future. So Anything thank you for having me. September is Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month. We hope you can join us on the next Women's Health Cast to learn about endometrial cancer and the importance of supporting gynecologic cancer research with Dr. Ryan Spencer.
The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And, of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topics you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.